What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. This week, we continue our mini-series about Carol, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast one of my favorite guests, someone whose work I love and admire. Someone you've heard before in episodes about Elizabeth and Elizabeth the Golden Age, so it's only fitting that they come back to talk about the other major titular role in Kate's filmography. Carol, welcome back to the podcast, Izzy from Be Kind Rewind. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to always have you. I always have so much fun when you are my guest on the podcast. We always have great conversations. I always have so much fun too. And you know, to be here for Carol, what an honor. What an honor. Yes, it is. You know, Todd and Kate and Rooney have honored us with this film. And um, and that's actually my first question to you. Like, everybody I know who runs in my circles, including you, loves this film. And six years later, we still love it and talk about it. But, and I've talked to a few people. This is the first episode I did about Carol. Everybody I talked to loved it. And have seen it many times, but I'm like, I, am I just in my bubble? This this film really has the cultural cachet that I think it has. What do you think, Izzy? <laughs> oh, I certainly think in certain circles, it definitely has a cultural cachet, for sure. I mean, I I think I was trying to think about it as you know the Carol phenomenon and why people are so drawn to it. Um, and the conclusion that I came to is just that there aren't very many romance dramas anymore um, Mm -hmm. that are specifically about sexual desire and how that plays into our definitions of how we define ourselves. Um, And I just think Carol does that in a way that isn't like heavy handed and isn't um, it, it just feels very like magical and grounded in these two characters Mm -hmm. um in a way that just feels so unique like not even within lgbt cinema but like just cinema at large right now Mm -hmm. um and yeah i just think it really grabs everybody just for that reason and also because everybody's kind of playing at the top of their game here i think yes absolutely i think this is a very good point that you bring up because um for our listeners, this episode, I'm talking to Izzy about the inspirations and the influences behind Carol. So that's sort of our topic for this podcast. And I went back to look, um, obviously, the movie set in the 1950s, but it was made in 2015. Um, And so I wanted to see what other big, huge romances kind of that has this thrust of that the romance is the thrust of the narrative. And I couldn't find anything close, like recent, Um, And so, you know, my references, and maybe because that's just my references, but, you know, the first thing I could come up with is maybe stuff in the 90s, like The Remains of the Day or something like um, The English Patient, those sort of like stories, big, huge sort of sweeping stories that the romance is the center of the narrative. 
but can you think of anything recent? So we have to, like, I, I couldn't. Yeah. No, I think it's always like the romance is blended with something else to give it sort of a twist on the genre. So like you could, you could think of shape of water maybe as a kind of romance, but Mm -hmm. of course that blends with almost like fantasy and uh, political in a way, if you're thinking about the allegories that he's working with as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that, or like (laughs) house of Gucci. I don't know. There is technically a romance in that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Although it's really not a good one. The first third is romantic, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what I mean. It's like it, there's nothing just exclusively about. Oh my gosh, these two people love each other so much, and what happens to them because of that love? Yeah. Um, that seems very rare. Yeah, it is very rare. You um, absolutely right about that. One of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is it's sort of like I'm a huge fan of Todd Haynes. I've loved all his movies up until Carol. I think post Carol, I don't like his movies. But we'll leave that for another conversation. <laughs> You're not a Dark Waters guy. <laughs> I think Dark Waters is sort of like accomplishes what it sets out to be, but I just wasn't into what it set yeah. out to be. But like Wonderstruck, I can't abide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking of like what drew me in, you know, as a queer man growing up, I've always related to women on screen, definitely not to guys. Um, and so... Todd Haynes does that. He gives us these vivid internal lives of women. And, you know, if you think of safe, if you think of far from heaven, even in Velvet um, Goldmine, the, the character played by Tony Collette, she's not the lead, but, you know, her life is brought to vivid, you know, is brought out vividly. And so I was thinking this time he gave us two. He gave us Carol and Therese. So he doubled it. And it sort of fits into what he does so well. Like I think reading interviews uh, during my research to talk to you, he's very proud of that. Like when Carol was released, people were like, oh, this is another one of your women's pictures. And he's like, yes, I'm happy to be known as a women's stories director. Actresses bring me things they're developing and I love that. And if there is one thing I can be known for, I want to be known for that. So do you, do you like that aspect about Todd Haynes? And does it come out in Carol? I do. And I actually remember what, reading a lot of interviews with him around the time that this was released, because there's always that question of like, whose story is a story to tell, right? And so a lot mm-hmm. of people were like, is Todd Haynes capable of telling this story? <laughs> and like, you know, I think that's a really valid question, obviously. Like mm-hmm. we should constantly be asking ourselves that when we're consuming and like supporting artists. Um, but in this case, I just think you're absolutely right. I mean, Todd Haynes handles these uh perspectives with a lot of care mm-hmm. um and sensitivity in a way that I think has been like largely embraced and validated. Um, and so to me, yes, like I definitely I love Todd Haynes, especially early Todd Haynes when he was more experimental. Karen Carpenter's story is amazing. Yes. Um, and then also Poison, which I just watched for the first time last year. Um, it's just so gorgeous and so creative. The way I've done it, for like $2, you know? It's, incredible, yeah. But it looks amazing. It's beautiful and it's just so smart. Um, I'd never really seen anything like that before. And so I don't know when you have someone who's that like intelligent and in tune with just like general human emotion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's, it's very 
nice that he's applying that empathy and sensitivity to women's stories because not all male directors do that. Yeah. And, you know, probably the fact that he's queer helps. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so he has sort of done the fifties in, in far from heaven um, and also done the fifties, not just a story set in the fifties, but a story that had queer characters in it. Like the character played by, um, okay, what is his name? Julianne's more husband, Dennis. Dennis Quaid. (laughs) Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Um, I watched it again last night. Oh, you did? I like had a whole binge of things. All right. You're ready to talk about this. I'm ready. Um, So I wanted to sort of like just talk about the characters and the differences between these two movies. Because I remember when when Carol came out, because it takes place in the 50s, which is the same time period that Far From Heaven takes place in. There was a lot of sort of just knee-jerk reactions from critics who maybe didn't give it a lot of thought and just said, oh, he's doing Far From Heaven again. And I remember like in his interviews, he was always sort of pushing back against that. And, you know, he like I'm reading, I reread some of his interviews and he sort of says that Carol is more realistic. It's a love story. It's not a melodrama like Far From Heaven was and sort of Far far From Heaven was a story where he was basically trying to do a Douglas Sirk movie um, and doing the artifice of the 50s of all those melodramas that were made within the studio. Everything is done sort of big and huge and doesn't really seem real. And with Carol, he's doing it more realistic. But also one of the things that I really love reading his interviews is he says, talking about Carol, that even though it is realistic, unlike Far From Heaven, still naturalism is artificial. It's all artificial. So when you think of those two movies together, um, where, do you, where do you see their similarities and their differences? I mean, I think that there is sort of a, an aesthetic similarity, not in the sense that he's doing a full Circean, like technicolor dream. Mm-hmm. But I was really struck watching Carol again for this because I haven't seen it in maybe like two years since last night. Um, I was struck by how he uses color in this movie. Like it's sort of what you were saying that it's, it's naturalism, but it's also very artificial. It kind of reminded me of what um, Scorsese does in the aviator where it's sort of like a very intentional callback to the kind of color that was used um, in cinema history. So like Mm -hmm. with Carol, you're seeing a lot of greens and reds and it looks like that kind of two strip color, um, that you would have seen very early. I mean, pre fifties, but still it just kind of evokes this like historical sense that you're watching something else that is sort of removed from your immediate reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is kind of that distance still there, but you're right. I mean, the tone of it is just much more grounded, much more, I think, adhering to the more typical dramas we see today from major studios. Yeah. And I think even like, even when we look at the performances, and obviously I want to talk to you about both Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, but I think when we look at the performances, I always sort of thought of Kate's performances, this, uh, of Kate's performance in this movie as not entirely realistic. It's a little heightened. Uh, frankly, I was surprised that they were going for realistic because I always saw her 
as she's playing Therese's idea of Carol. She's not just playing Carol. Like it's, she's always like every movement is just so perfect. So just exactly as a person um, seen in somebody who really loves them and looks up to them. Um, because the camera is really always from Therese's point of view for the most part. Um, so, so that's kind of my, my, was my surprise. I was like, oh, so, you know, Todd thinks of this is realistic, but what about the performance? Totally. Yeah. I do think, I mean, <laughs> you're so right. She has that theatricality to her that feels, I mean, never, never too natural, which I love. Yeah, I think it's too. great. But, but I kind of, I think it works here because like seduction in reality is like not really sexy. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you Mm -hmm. almost have to perform it in a way that is so next level that it's going to read probably a little theatrical, but you need to be, you need to be enchanted by it. You need to be seduced. Yeah. And doing that realistically is just kind of boring and it doesn't really, it doesn't master the kind of like wit, like otherworldliness that Todd Haynes brings to his films. So to me, like this is the perfect marriage of theatricality and like the, the aesthetic of Todd Haynes where you're getting kind of angel flung from space but like no one would ever say that like that but but at the same time who cares Do you know what yeah I mean? like it's that's just, what it's makes the of, movie it's world it's world building is what yeah. it is you know yeah. so I think it works it works and I think it works really well because it's in contrast to what Rooney Mara is doing which is completely naturalistic it's very minimal she's like a blank slate right yeah. she's the canvas and she's trying to figure out her herself as an adult. And so everything that she's doing is just almost wooden because she's Mm -hmm. just waiting to be like imprinted upon basically by Carol. So I think like the reason their chemistry works is because we just are basically letting Kate Blanchett do everything (laughs) until like the last third of the movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, Rooney Mara as Therese is absorbing everything for most of the movie, you know, to what you were saying, trying to figure out how to behave, trying to figure out what to eat, how to dress everything. Um, And then, you know, she takes that journey. Um, Before we get into sort of like some of the influences, and I want to talk to you about those, but I just want to go back to uh, the Far From Heaven, Todd Haynes women. Like when we we see those movies, you know, uh, there is another Carol in Safe and there is Kathy Whitaker in Far From Heaven. And, you know, contrasted with Carol and Therese, these are, you know, women dealing with so much. Um, like, you know, Carol and Safe is, is having this health crisis. And of course, it's a metaphor. That movie was, you know, came at the height of the AIDS crisis. Um, Kathy Whitaker is a woman just trying to live. But everything, everybody and everything surrounding her is just closing in on her, her children, her husband, even her best friend. She can't escape at all. Um, and sort of when, when you look at those and you contrast them with Carol and Therese, their world is also closing in on them. Like Hard is closing in on them, sending that guy um, to record them. Rindy is taken away from Carol. Therese's boyfriend is just doesn't listen to her. So everything is closing in on them. But there is a note throughout this movie. And I think this is why I think this is my favorite Todd Haynes movie 
is that there is a note throughout it, not just of hope, but of resilience. Like both Carol and Therese are very resilient, very resourceful. And even though everything is closing in on them, they are managing to get out of it. And in the end, they find a way somehow. Like when, when, when somebody tells you this story is about two women in the 50s um, who fall in love with each other, you're going to think it's not going to end this way. It's not going to end with them not just being together, which we don't know if they are together or whatever, but of them being in such a good place mm-hmm. just as, yeah. as two women. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's, uh, I have so many thoughts on this actually. <laughs> um, I mean, I think obviously this goes back to Patricia Highsmith mm-hmm. and like the, uh, the context for that being that a happy ending is only something she could get under an assumed name. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. nobody would touch that book unless, and especially not her publisher. Yeah. Just for its content at that time, which is wild. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting to me and what I would love to see from Todd Haynes <laughs> is like a modern woman's story because like, of course, I think Carol and um, Kathy are very different characters and Mm -hmm. like something that I think connects the them and certainly, you know, Mildred Pierce, for example, is like not only the sensitivity that he's giving them and the concern for what distinguishes women's lives from men's lives, but it's also like, he's pointing out that there are, there's a lack of resources to then respond to that difference. And like, they are dignified and they are resourceful and they're figuring it out anyway. And I think that's, what's really cool, but it's like, uh, to me, I want to see how he interprets that in 2022. Yes. Like, I I just absolutely want to see that from him. Not, not as like a criticism. I'm just really curious, like how he would portray that because I think obviously so much has changed since the 1950s. Um, but there are still things, you know, women need to overcome. Totally. Yeah. And I think there are really smart things in that screenplay specifically. And obviously that's due to Phyllis. I'm not sure how to say her last name. Phyllis Naj, I believe. Naj. Yeah. But um, especially just like in the way it was adapted, because I actually read the book first. Um, so I think that was interesting for me. Like having seen the movie, like the first time I saw it, I was just running through the book book in my head and I didn't really Uh even get it. (laughs) So I had to see it again before I was like, Oh no, I really like this. Um, I mean, the the biggest sort of difference between the book and the movie is that the book is entirely from Teresa's point of view. And so Carol to me was always sort of an elusive object of desire in the book. Like you have to sort of, try and find her and you can never sort of build a, um, a complete picture of her because it's just how Therese sees her and what she's telling us through the narrative. But in the movie, and I think this is, you know, the brilliance of what Phyllis Notch has done, Carol becomes a complete character. And then of course we get Kate to play her. And so then, you know, that's two things that are coming that just brings it out. This is where I think the movie sort of um, is I'm not saying it's better, but it improves on the book. Yeah. I, it just, how do you, how do you paint a mystery? Like the books, Carol, 
Yeah. Um, and really there are very few people who can achieve that. And Kate Blanchett is obviously the one, like she was the <laughs> selection, you know, yeah. it's, it's so well, um, visualized. Yeah. That. And, you know, Kate was like the first person attached to this project, even before Todd. And so it was always like, whoever I, the producers, I think it was one of the producers who was behind this project in the beginning. Like they saw that, you know, they need to find this, who is the actor who can bring this elusive otherworldly sort of perfect, but not perfect human to life and you know like you said there was only one person in that skate <laughs> absolutely so you know this movie is is to me like what i love about it is that it's so heartbreaking from the first scenes um because you know the first time i saw you know or whoever sees this movie the first time is not going to realize how heartbreaking that first scene is um but repeated viewings and i have seen carol a lot it's always just struck me that you start with this complete heartbreak, that interruption. Um, we start with this completely nondescript man in this raincoat walking through the streets of New York, enters, interrupts. You see Kate over there, interrupts them. And then he's like, you're like, what's going on? And sort of like by the end, when the movie comes full circle, you're like, fuck, he literally interrupted them as she told her that she loves her like it's immediately after yeah heartbreaking your goal is to never be that person in life <laughs> yes. yes and you know obviously he's oblivious and doesn't know but it was very surprising to me to you know to read and know that you know at the time when I first saw Carol I hadn't seen Brief Encounter David Lean's Brief Encounter but basically they stole it from, from- the shoulder touch <laughs> Straight up, like command C, command V, yes. stole it. Yeah, absolutely. Like they copied. And I'm not mad. <laughs> no, they copied every. I mean, you know, when when it's perfect, why not steal it? Yeah, it works. It, it works. totally works. But I think what I really love, and what um, I think, when you can steal something, you have to improve on it because you have the basics, so you can't just steal it without an. Im- improving on it I think what it's an inspiration and they completely stole it but I think what they improved upon is that they raised the stakes here like they raised the stakes in that yes this is a story about these two uh, people in love who are separated and maybe they can't be together but I think how it improved on it and how the stakes were raised is that they changed the point of view completely like the story um, in Brief Encounter is just about the Celia Johnson character. It's her story to tell. But here we begin this from one point of view. And by when we come back to it, we have seen so many things. And both Carol and Therese have gone through this complete journey. And the power dynamic has shifted. Where at the beginning of the story, Carol holds all the power and all the cards. And when we come back to the scene, she doesn't. Therese mm-hmm. has all the power. Absolutely. And even just from a technical standpoint, I think like the, the improvement that I appreciate the most in Carol is that it gets you to the, the past quicker. Mm -hmm. Like it's, 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 she goes straight from the restaurant to the car and you're right back, like at the beginning of their story. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas brief encounter takes (laughs) a good five or so more minutes before you get back into it. 
I love that movie though. I mean, I'm not complaining. I truly am not. It's, I'm, it's I'm not either. I love it. But you're <laughs> right. You know, it takes a while. Like there is, she has to deal with a lot of sort of like not important things like the husband and the kid. Yeah, her boring husband, <laughs> her boring husband. Yeah. yeah. And here we just have Carrie Brown scene, but I would, I guess we don't get to the, the, <laughs> that part till the end. Yes. But I guess Carrie Brown scene is sort of playing the role of Celia Johnson's husband. Somebody who, who, yeah, who sort of like makes a comparison point. So then you can make the choice, which I guess Celia can't really make the choice, but Therese does. Yeah, it's 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 her realizing that she's still desirable, mm-hmm. right? Is that kind of that's my read on it? Yes, that 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 people see something in her, and that maybe maybe she needs to find out what she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I want to talk a little bit about, about Brief Encounter. It is a lovely movie and I haven't seen it. I've seen it like maybe three years ago for the first time. And I watched again yesterday to talk with you and it's still like so, so, um, brilliant and so moving. And it's one of those sort of movies. Like I always used to think before Carol, like, because my reference point was to movies like you know, Dr. Zhivago or The English Patient, which I already talked about, for these big sweeping romances that they, something had to happen at the end, even, even a movie as terrible as Love Story did it. Something has to happen at the end and the two people who are in love are not going to be together for the sweeping romance to work, to move you. That separation was very important, or at least I thought it was important to make a romance uh, work. But what Carol does is that it tells us, you know, maybe not. Totally. Yeah. I mean, a few days ago, so I'm reading the new Greta Garbo book by mm-hmm. Robert Gottlieb, which I actually don't love. But anyway, another story. Um, so so listeners, don't don't get that book. <laughs> <laughs> Just buy one of the, the other biographies is what I'm saying. It'll be cheaper and you'll learn more. But um, anyways, so obviously this has caused me to... Um, rewatch a lot of her movies. And I recently watched romance, which is almost, I mean, exactly what you're talking about, right? Like it begins in the quote unquote present. It's an old man. He has a token from this woman that he used to love. And the rest of the movie is like about their relationship. Right. But, mm-hmm. but you're right. It's the same setup where it's always, there was this love and like, maybe it ended positively. Maybe it didn't, but the, the ultimate, uh, finale is always that they're not together at the end yeah if you're telling it from from the past right or from the the present looking back at the past yeah um which is really interesting to to sort of assume that like nostalgia can be tragic but it can also be positive in a way um so it was framed that way at least in, in romance. And I can think of a couple of other examples, but yeah, there are so many, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want to say about Brief Encounter is that there, it, it sort of has this insistence of like, they get together and they sort of like the common ground for them is movies. They keep going to the pictures, like that's their escape, which is a thing that maybe in 1946 was new, but I think now it doesn't elicit from me the same like reaction because filmmakers just use it all the fucking time. Like Mm. people love movies. Like we know you love movies. You're a filmmaker. You don't have to keep telling me that, but I found it so just wonderful and it almost innocent 
um, in that they go to the movies, but they don't really love mo the movies they go see. Like they're always dismissing the movie, but it's about them just having an experience together. So mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the things I loved about that, um, about Brief Encounter. It's interesting that Todd Haynes kind of returns to the movie theater in um, Far From Heaven. Mm, yes. Where that sort of becomes part of Dennis Quaid's like process as he's kind of figuring out the gay scene. Um, yeah. You know, just thinking about like spaces, like community spaces that you can be drawn to and like not only consume entertainment, but also like culture and figuring out like these are people together. What are they doing here? Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. Um, that's really interesting, especially for him, just like because obviously he's <laughs> a cinephile. <laughs> yes, he is, but he doesn't sort of like I, I what I like about him being a cinephile is that he does it more in an academic way. Like he sort of shows you his influences and inspirations based on the movies that he loves, but he doesn't sort of do the the heavy-handed, you know, here are two characters watching movies and transported. You know, um, we'll talk about um. Kenneth Brown is very guilty of that in Belfast. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think that's interesting kind of, I mean, so one of my, my, my favorite plays is um, Search for Signs of Intelligent Life, which happened mm -hmm. to just be on, on, on in New York, if you saw that. But um, I mean, one of the points at the end of it is like, watching either a stage play or a movie, it's like, there's two things going on here. It's the art, but it's also the audience. And Todd Haynes, I think, is really smart about understanding, like, okay, yeah, like, I can reference the movies, but this is actually about the audience. And we're yes. thinking about, like, those people specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like that about him. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And although there is one scene where uh, Teresa's friend discusses Sunset Boulevard, but that's also, it's not like they're watching it. They're sort of discussing it away. And I think that's a clever point in the script where he's like, you know, I'm charting what they're feeling versus what they're saying, which is exactly what Carol does. Like these mm -hmm. two women never say what they're feeling at any time. Ever, ever. Yeah. I mean, that is one thing I will give Reef Encounter is like it kind of illustrates why they love each other in a way that is much clearer and understandable to me <laughs> than, than in Carol. Like, listen, if I, if I were Therese, like, no shit. I'd be in love with Carol too, but like, there's not much there. Like I can't really think of one thing they have. Well, I can think of one thing they have in common, but yes. you know, Waterloo. not a lot, not yeah, not a lot. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying um, in that, you know, what's the commonality between these two characters, especially, you know, you know, Carol is older, more sophisticated. Therese is sort of like very naive at the beginning. She doesn't know which, what she wants. And Apart from the fact, which is, it sort of brings me to this point that I read in one of the interviews that I sent you, um, where somebody asks, um, I think it was Miriam Bale in IndieWire, who asked him about, is this another movie of women copying women? And I thought that was an interesting point because she kind of does copy her. Like even in the way that she dresses at the end, she's copying her. She obviously tries to copy her in like just how to behave and how to be not exactly an out queer woman, but sort of just how to be comfortable with that. Um, but it doesn't really strike me as, you know, Todd Haynes completely sort of refuted that and, um, and said, it's not really, um, what do you think, Izzy? Um, I mean, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a mirroring thing in the sense of like a Mulholland drive or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, and this is probably 
informed by the book, but so much of Therese's inner monologues in the book are like basically trying to figure out words. Like there just isn't a common vocabulary, especially in the 1950s of like to understand how your identity and your personal, how you represent yourself Mm -hmm. informs how other people see you and like how you define yourself and all of these things. And like, for example, there, I remember a part from the book where she's like, well, I can't be a lesbian because lesbians wear pants and like cut their hair short. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's a very simplistic way of looking at all of these things that she's trying to figure out. And like her only example is essentially Carol and Abby. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it makes sense to me that there's some sort of mirroring, but it's more part of an internal dialogue that she's having with herself about like who she is and where she fits Mm -hmm. in, in the society that's laid out before her. And you kind of see that a little bit in the, in the movie where she sees those two women in the record shop, but obviously it's just much harder to kind of spell out that logic. Um, Yeah. But but that scene sort of just explains, like she's trying to figure out what is being a queer woman? Like, is it that, mm -hmm. is it Carol? What is it? Um, And it's sort of, to me, the, the, the women copying women, it sort of always has sinister undertones and that's completely like definitely somebody wants to usurp the other. And, you know, I think of things like single white female and sort of like the ilk of it, like there's so many movies like that. And so the women copying women always to me just feels sinister and not this sort of like loving. I mean, the way Therese looks at Carol, like she doesn't want to do any harm to her. There is no way. It's like the complete opposite of that, like so much adoration in her eyes. Totally. Yeah. Um, And uh, like just a side note, actually, because you were talking about, we were, I guess, talking about how they dress and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing in terms of the color story of this movie that I thought was interesting from a cinematic history perspective was like the amount of red that Carol wears Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, is very interesting to me. And like when Therese wears red is very interesting um, because like you think of the red dress or like the red letter, the scarlet mm. letter, like mm-hmm. these are, this is a color of like sexual scorn or doing something that is considered by society to be bad. It's specifically with a sexual connotation. And you think mm-hmm. of like Gone with the Wind or like Jezebel or yeah, like I mentioned, the scarlet letter, it shows up again and again, you see red lipstick used that way, mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's interesting that those <laughs> that like she wears a red coat half the movie you know yes um, but not yeah. in a way that you know it's just like it seems as kind of sort of not even that important right because it Therese no, is so no, naive no. yeah, yeah I don't think it's meant to be like oh we're you know a judgment or anything but it's just it almost feels like a reclaiming of it mm-hmm. because she she is so I guess maybe proud is the wrong word but uh, secure, I guess, Mm -hmm. like she becomes hesitant for a bit in the middle there, but she, you know, comes back around. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she starts wearing white. Yeah. And and you're like, well, okay. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Um, yeah. So what other movies from the fifties or around that time that have, that have been great romances, you think maybe inspired or influenced Carol or reminded you of Carol a little bit? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I was thinking about end of the affair a lot. 
as as anyone who has followed me for the past few months knows, I have <laughs> a deep, deep love for Deborah Carr. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and that's another one of those stories where you sort of shift perspective halfway mm-hmm. through the film to like retread different plot points from different perspectives, mm-hmm. um, and it does not end well. And it's you know about lost love and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about that a lot as a romance and sort of a analogy for like trying to escape a marriage that you don't want. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, Which is sort else? of here in Carol yeah. between Carol and Harge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like, and similar to this and also brief encounter, it's not, it has nothing to do with the, the partner really. It's not like there was necessarily an abuse. It's just like, you guys aren't vibing. Yes. And it's okay to like look elsewhere at this point, yes. but like you, you guys aren't on the same page. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of like bland husbands. <laughs> yes. So I am so happy you brought up Deborah Carr. I love Deborah Carr too. I think she's amazing. Um, and I know we were like texting one, maybe it was a couple of months ago when you were working on your big Deborah Carr video and everybody who hasn't seen the video that Izzy go to Be Kind Rewind right now and watch Deborah Carr. You will not regret it. It's wonderful. But you told me that Deborah Carr reminds you of Kate or vice versa. And I love them both, but I never made the connection. So I was just like, okay, I'm like, I'll have to get Izzy back on the podcast to ask her, <laughs> what does she see the connection between um, Deborah and Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I, I think it's something about their acting styles. Well, I should say like Kate has a certain kind of like seductive prowess that Deborah doesn't have. I think Deborah is like super hot and whatever, but like, I just know that that's not her, her thing is like smoking in a corner and being like, you know, that's not her. Someone yes. the eyes. That's just not her. <laughs> yeah. Um, She's more earthy. Yes, she's very like sophisticated and like elegant, which is like Kate, but in a different way. Yeah. And uh, but I think what it is is like that sort of heightened naturalism. Like it's I've never watched a Deborah Carr movie and been like, oh, I feel like I'm watching a documentary. You know what I mean? Like there's it's like a very (laughs) theatrical kind of delivery where it's like a little bit extra, Mm -hmm. but in a way that feels like you're being taken into her world a little bit. Um, I also just think like Kate's filmography is really special because it's not, it's largely (laughs) not like childish. Like her dramas are like very adult dramas that are Mm -hmm. like very specific and like nuanced to, to within themselves. Right. And like, that's kind of how I see Deborah Carr's, filmography it's their dramas for adults they're like romances they're very internalized they're very sometimes neurotic mm-hmm. um and they're interpersonal which i think is also kind of kate's work like kate isn't really a political kind of actor if that makes sense like i don't get the sense that she's out there to like make a statement every two minutes, although she, she is in some sense, but you know. Yeah. I mean, she's one of those actors that sort of maybe we don't know as much about her, um, which is great. 
Um, and I think also, I think of Deborah Carr that way, like, and they, that's because obviously Deborah Carr is not with us anymore, but like, I know more about like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford and even Greer Garson, who mm-hmm. is completely forgotten these days. Then I know about Deborah Carr, even though I think I've watched as many Deborah Carr movies as I've watched for, um, you know, Joan or Betty or all those other amazing actresses I love from that time. But maybe, maybe that's the connection that you are, that you mean. Yeah. It's about the work. When you think about Deborah Carr, you're thinking about her movies because she's not really a dramatic person. <laughs> yes. Um, like, you know, she. it's not that, you know, not exactly scandals, but like, I don't know who who Deborah Carr was married to or who or what. And I don't I know that Kate has been married to the same man since she started working. And that's all I know about him. And I think yep. maybe that's the connection. But you know a lot about, you know, Joan Crawford and Coca-Cola and Betty Davis and Gary Merrill yeah, yeah. and all these other things that sort of adds to the screen persona and you can't help but think of it. Um, yeah. And, and I think that's also true. Like thinking about Deborah Carr as being one of the first like major actresses to put on or like British actresses to put on an American accent is really interesting because it's not like she was brought to America and sort of like trained into a transatlantic accent or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's she basically maintained her British accent for her entire career, except for when she's like Australian or like Scottish or in from here to eternity, like famously American. Yeah. Um, which I feel like really changed a lot, like opened a lot of doors and like set a new standard mm-hmm. for how, uh, non-American actors were supposed to come here and sort of like interact with American culture in a post-war mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. And I feel like Kate is like the result of that, right? Like every single thing she does is essentially either American accent or British at this point. Absolutely. She hardly ever plays Australian, maybe mm-hmm. only a couple of times in all her career. And I think 80% of her characters are American. In fact, very distinctly American. Like sometimes she even goes to like a specific American sort of dialect, like in Blue Jasmine or Mrs. America or things like that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the other David Lean movie that I watched to see if there are any influences was Summertime with Catherine Hepburn. And I can't say that that movie sort of like has any connection to um, Carol at all. But there was one scene in it and I thought of that I was as I was watching and there is a scene in the middle of summertime. Summertime is the story about this woman who goes on vacation to Venice and meets this married man who she falls in love with. And and, you know, the obstacle here is that they're married, but also she's kind of timid, you know, Catherine Hepburn timid, you know, she really she really sells you on that. But, <laughs> but anyway, she's sort of timid and there is a scene where she's trying to connect with him, but she can't. And she's she's sitting in this cafe and the camera sort of starts on her face. Um, he comes and says, hello. She doesn't ask him to sit down with her, although she wants him to sit down. And so he leaves and the camera sort of just goes from her face and goes away until it becomes a medium shot, then a, you know, a big shot. And so we see her whole body. And I was thinking like this is the inverse of the end of Carol because in Carol it starts with um, the end of Carol starts with Carol in the distance with all these other people around her until it goes, 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 goes close, close, close until it's almost a close up to give us that smile at the end, the end to all end and all ending. Absolutely. Yeah. 
You know what I just randomly thought of? Would Catherine Hepburn be a good Abby? I feel like she would. <laughs> yes, she would. Like she's not a Carol, but she she's kind of an Abby. She is. I think she would be a great Abby, but it's just like Catherine Hepburn always is the center of her movies. I can't see her doing an Abby. I know, I know. This is just like my fan cast at this point. Yes. I mean, and if, <laughs> and if, it, if we're doing Carol around that time, let's just get Marlena Dietrich to play Carol. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Except her name would be Katrin or something, like to make, to yeah, explain has, her accent. She has to be an exotic European. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so funny. So one of the other things that... um you know, Kate is in movies right now with Nightmare Alley and watching that movie, which is completely like tone and everything different from Carol, but they're kind of like, it's in the forties, Carol is in the fifties, like it's close, but I think it's the closest Kate's character there, Lilith, has looked like Carol. Like it's sort of like the blonde hair and the red yeah. lipstick. It's kind of Carol. Yeah. When I first saw the pictures, specifically of her standing with Rooney Mara, I was like, I'm ready, Carol, too. <laughs> Carol, too, in Greenwich Village. They're thriving yeah. in the beat poetry scene in the 60s. <laughs> um, but it's not because they don't even they only interact um, once. They have one yeah. scene together. So if you haven't seen Nightmare Alley yet, go see it. Kate is great, but just don't, don't think of it as Carol, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sad sad I wish it were Carol too so we talked about Deborah Carr and you know I've been reading sort of like just reviews of the performance and everybody has to mention someone when they talk about Carol and Kate's um, reviews and they they have to talk about like who she is or who she reminds them of um I love that I do that all the time but sometimes when I'm reading it um from other writers and this is where I'm, you know, my biases come out and I'm just like, you just didn't think about this at all. You just looked at the movies from the fifties and you, <laughs> the first person from the fifties who came to your mind, you yeah. just put their name there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think that's right. And I'm sure someone will hear me say like, Oh, like Deborah Carr, really? But I thought about this. Okay. I, <laughs> if you watch like not the the famous, not like the King and I, okay? You need to get into the filmography and it will make sense why I said that. Yes. No, you explained it great. Like, I think people should go, <laughs> A, watch your video about Deborah Carr and sort of watch more Deborah Carr movies. I didn't make the connection until you explained it to me. It is a connection that needs a little bit of explanation. It's true. It's true. I think, I think when you just watch enough movies, you realize like, how horny all of her characters are. And then you're like, oh, it makes sense. Yes. I mean, her most famous thing is that beach scene in From Here to Eternity, which is the horniest. I have to say, I love Kate, but she has never been this horny like that from it, from here to eternity. Rare. I mean, nothing is that horny anymore. It sucks. No. Like even Nightmare Alley, which had every right to be super horny, was really not that horny. No, it wasn't. I think that's what Nightmare Alley was kind of missing. Like, for Stanton and Lillis to form this connection that makes them do all these crimes. Where is the heat? Was it rated R? I think it was rated R because it was because of the violence, but that was yeah, probably it's like, it. If you're going to go there, I don't know. I go think there. actors don't want to do that anymore, even though Bradley yeah. Cooper is um, naked. He goes full frontal for a split second. But I think I remember... I remember 
um, an interview with Kira Knightley that I read maybe 10 years ago. And she talks about how with how the many porn sites since the internet, like she's somebody who started her career right before the internet porn proliferation. And then early in her career that happened and sort of like she talked about how she decided not to do nude scenes anymore because then everything is just put together and forever they are on porn porn sites. So I think maybe a lot of actors just don't want to do that anymore. And that's why there is no nude sex scenes anymore. It honestly makes a lot of sense to me and to, and to be like, to their credit, like that, the fact that Hollywood is just now getting around to having intimacy coordinators, I'm sure it's like very intimidating Mm -hmm. or it has been in the past, you know? So now I'm sure there's like growing pains figuring that out. Yes. Um, So one thing I want to talk about, like, you know, Carol is a romance and it's a beautiful romance And I think one of the things that I love about it, um, and it's a point I maybe I'm repeating myself, maybe I said it already, but like for romances used to need to be epic. Like if we're talking about David Lean, you you think of Dr. Zhivago, which is like epic. It's not just about these people um, getting together, but it's about war and the Russian revolution. And so, you know, and so many things happen. Or even when you think about something like Anna Karenina, which is like the romance to end all romances, there are so many things happening in that uh, book and in all the adaptations. But what I love about Carol is just, it brings it all down to just these two women. And what happens between them, it might not be a war, it might not be a revolution, but it feels just as seismic. Absolutely. I mean, I think like thinking about Todd Haynes as a women's director, like the other person to famously helm that title is George Cukor. Yes. And like, when we think about women's pictures in that context, it's exactly that it's domestic. It's focused on very minute details. I mean, in a George Cukor movie, if you wear the wrong hat, your life might be ruined. And that's, (laughs) that's like absolutely serious, right? Like to them, Mm -hmm. absolutely serious, but it's just something that, like for most of history, we haven't taken seriously. So (laughs) as like a society, but Mm -hmm. also on a smaller scale within film, if you look at like, for example, the Academy Awards are like an easy metric of that. Just like Mm -hmm. films that are about women's issues or women's lives, like don't win best picture because they're not important. (laughs) They're not as like exciting or like high stakes as a war. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you get a romance like Dr. Zhivago or something like that, that like does really well, you can kind of see that's it's kind of merging with other more quote unquote serious topics. Yeah. And that's why there is that in the Academy Awards, there's always this connection between best actress and best picture. There's never a connection between mm-hmm. those two categories. And this oh. year, none of the best actress nominees are in a movie nominated for best picture, right? Yes. And I mean, it's, I think it's almost every year, but maybe this year, it's like there's usually one out of five or two, but this year is literally zero. (laughs) Yep. I always discover things when I watch Carol, like I watch Carol every time and I'm like, hmm, did I not see this scene before? It's like, I, I called it the gift, the gift that keeps giving. So I want to ask you about some of your favorite moments and things that you have discovered this watch, especially if you while you were watching it and thinking of it as like influences and inspirations, we can link to those movies from the time that the story takes place. Yeah. I also just thought that when 
one thing that Brief Encounter does really well toward the end, the second time we come back around to Celia Johnson's character. Um, like you lose the audibility of the conversations happening outside of her mind. Like she hears mm. the train and that's it. And mm-hmm. that's sort of, I think what Todd Haynes copies really well with uh, Therese in the car. Yeah. We kind of, everything kind of becomes hazy as we uh, start to realize that we're moving into her perspective and also yes. that we're about to go into the past of her perspective, um, which is a really cool tactic. I think that he, modernized a little bit yeah and also it just looks so gorgeous like the sort of flooding of the screen with the green color it's just Mm -hmm. so just beautiful yeah beautiful so I think my favorite line in the whole movie and this is a hundred percent because of how Kate performs it is when Therese calls her and she says I want to ask you things and Kate says ask me so desperately performed like it's so vulnerable and she just kind of like it just pours out of her like she wants so badly to tell her everything and she just needs the permission to do it mm-hmm. and that's like i mean that's the most really most relatable thing in the world of just like being so scared but so ready to for something to happen um and it's just so beautifully performed and I, it's such a simple line yes but like for her to pack such a punch with it is really extraordinary. And, and it's also just the way she's shot, like she's wearing sort of a robe and the hair, her hair is covering half her face and just as the camera's closing in and we can see her, but we can't really see her, but And the still... cigarette is held so strangely. Yeah. Like it's just, it's like still very full, you know? Uh, it's very, it's very good. Yeah. Very good. Did it remind you of any of the actresses of that era? That sort of just that moment? Uh, Deborah? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, not wrong, but maybe. Um, hmm. No, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't thinking about other actresses in that moment. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just like, how can you envision anything else? Other there? than Kate, like, right? <laughs> like it's just, it's just been like, like if it's already done perfectly, I'm like, I'm never going to imagine this in another way. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite moments is like when, when Abby drops her off at that party early in the day, early in the movie, early in the day, I can't speak early in the movie. <laughs> and, and then she's sort of like walking away and the camera's on her as she's walking away and she sort of like clicks her feet together. And it's mm-hmm. just that little moment. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I'm a little obsessive. So I feel like that's just for the very few Kate fans that she's like giving us something and sort of like um, this, it doesn't, it's not the same thing, but I feel like that, like the great screen actresses always sort of give you that sort of trademark thing. Like I think about it a lot with Meryl Streep, who is a great star, but she's also a great actress and she disappears into characters. But sometimes she will just like, whatever character she's playing she will always touch her face and i was like <laughs> yeah. oh the, signature- De- the debbie reynolds yeah the yes. debbie reynolds thing <laughs> yes. signature yeah. meryl moment and you're just like even if you are sort of lost with her in the hours or in sophie's choice or whatever you're just like oh meryl this is for the fans <laughs> this is for the true yes. ones that know <laughs> i'm so curious about like certain moments and like their intentionality with things like there's okay, you know when um 
Carol's boyfriend, Rich, Richard, I keep thinking, I'm like Jake Lacey, um, is like waving goodbye and Carol's and he's like, have fun. And Carol like salutes him. Yes. And she's like, I'm about to fuck your girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she like salute. She does a very specific, like two finger, like, like mm-hmm. salute. Right. Yeah. And every time I'm like, that's Marlena Dietrich does that in Morocco. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm like, did you do that on purpose? You know what I, like, is it a callback? Because that's like one of the most iconic, like queer performances ever. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, knowing Kate and how she knows films and film history and how she's somebody who sort of like uses all the tools. I can't think of it as um, something that just happened. I think yeah, it's probably like, it, calculated. Yeah. It feels so specific that mm-hmm. it feels intentional and like learned rather than because I've never seen her do that before in another movie I don't think yeah you know yeah and I mean she does that and I think in in sort of like when she's especially when she's playing somebody in from an era that's not modern like I think her Cinderella is completely a homage to Joan Crawford and I think what (laughs) she does in in like sort of like she's doing the comedy Joan Crawford um and I think what she does in Nightmare Alley is a lot Lauren Bacall um, especially like the voice and and sort of like the movements and when she stands up and sits down, I'm like, oh my god, that's Lauren Bacall. And actually, the first time I saw Nightmare Alley, I didn't realize the Lauren Bacall thing until a very nice listener, Meryl, sent me an email. She's like, oh, I heard you talk in the podcast about who, and she's like, it's Lauren Bacall. And then when I watched it again, I just couldn't take Lauren Bacall off my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's nice, like. I- if I'm thinking about actors who can handle a film, a femme fatale role right now, like there aren't very many because we aren't asking people to, to weaponize sexuality anymore, mm-hmm. really in film. Yeah. And that's in a way what she does in nightmare alley and Carol, mm-hmm. because like, essentially, I mean, like top energy, like is weaponizing <laughs> sexuality. Yeah, totally. But like, um, but she, it's kind of like weaponized in different ways where in Carol, it's kind of like a benevolent, like love, whereas it's obviously not in Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to see how she can kind of use that in different ways and kind of manipulate that skill. She also does it in Ocean's 8. Yeah, totally. So, um, Kate, keep weaponizing your sexuality because we love watching it. Yeah. You have um, fans. You have fans. <laughs> you have lots of them. Izzy, you mentioned Mae West. Was there a moment that you that reminded you of? Oh Mae yeah. West? I mean, speaking of weaponizing your sexuality, <laughs> when she says, um, invite me around, I was like, oh my God, why don't you come <laughs> up and see me sometime? <laughs> it just made me laugh watching yeah. it again. Another uh, famous blonde. The emotional impact of the film has now settled in so I can kind of find things funny. (laughs) So for example, when Harge asks Carol, he's like, Oh, how did, how'd you meet this one? And she's like, Oh, she, I left my gloves and she returned them. And he goes, Oh, that's bold. I honestly like (laughs) fell out of my chair. Like it was so funny. Like just imagining how intimately aware he is of like how, (laughs) what's the right word? aggressive but in it like a in not in a bad way she mm-hmm. is is really funny to me that's so funny it it happened before he's like he's not surprised yeah he's like <laughs> oh what what a strategy you've conceived 
excellent work. It's so funny. And you just it kind is. of get an insight to the kind the things that she probably has done in the past, which are, I'm sure. Yeah. Amazing. I always think that sort of like the hard sort of like that moment. I'm glad, you know, we can think of it as funny now. Cause I think when the movie was first out, like a lot of male critics didn't connect as much with this movie. And I think it's maybe because they found hard a little put upon like, you know, I'm not going to call names, but I remember I got into a fight with some male straight critic who was like, talking on Twitter about how the only performance that works in this movie is Kyle Chandler, which I'm like, <laughs> Are you, what? Like, I can't wow. believe it. <laughs> Rude. So. The, other, the other line that made me laugh this time, which like I plan to meme in some capacity is when she's leaving and she's like, we are not ugly people, Harge. And I'm just like, no, you're not. You're not ugly. <laughs> you're you're both very beautiful (laughs) maybe the most beautiful (laughs) yeah like it's it's just so funny because like I know what it means I know and it like the first time I watched it I did not think it was funny but now I'm just like it's funny (laughs) because you're both just so hot it's like not fair it's really yeah totally and that that scene is sort of memefied I think so much because when she sits down and she puts her hand on her heart and she's trying to like explain that she's willing to give up Rindy like that's the gay shaking meme now and it's so funny (laughs) to me and I use that all the time even though the moment to your point like that is a moment where she's giving up her daughter and now people are just like gay shaking (laughs) yeah and well we messaged about the other one where they're at the table and Mm -hmm. when she tells Teresa she loves her it's literally the like do you want to, I don't know, like live together? JK, JK, unless <laughs> maybe, maybe would you <laughs> JK, unless you, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's very funny. Um, I mean, I think this is a great thing in that the more you watch this movie, the, your relationship is, it sort of like evolves and now you can enjoy it for what it is sort of realistic love story with lots of stakes but also like find all these moments, which are literally these people are putting their lives right in front of us. But you can still, because we have a relationship with the film, you can still find it funny. Absolutely. I mean, it feels, yeah, it's, it, it is, it, that's what exactly what it is. It's a relationship with the movie. Like, I mean, how many times have something horrible happened to you? And then a week later you're laughing about it because it's just a funny story now. I mean, that's yeah. just how it feels with yeah. this movie, having lived through it so many times. And maybe that's why Carol endures. <laughs> True. Absolutely. As usual, Izzy, this has been a wonderful conversation. I think we touched on a lot of things. And I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You are one of my faves to talk to. And, you know, I could talk to you for another hour. Um, thank you. I could too. <laughs> but before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Yep. Um, I'm on YouTube at Be Kind Rewind. Um, I'm on Twitter at BK Rewind and Instagram BK underscore Rewind, I think. (laughs) And you can find me on Twitter at ME underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.